0: Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law. Presented by the law firm of Deeson, Garner, and Hanson. Hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam
1: Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is 560 AM KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner in studio here with Cody Beeson. And we are going to talk about some interesting topics this morning. Number one, uh, first and foremost, is Easter. Easter was Sunday, and it's a fabulous holiday. We had a good time. But uh, something that I want to point out about Easter is that it's certainly not celebrated like Christmas. And you have to ask yourself why. So think about Easter. What are we celebrating for Easter? What is the celebration? Well, I mean,
2: it's a lot of things to a lot of different people. But um, I like to think if if you're spiritual or religious, you you really think about the meaning of it. And there is a significance to it there. Um, but if you just celebrate the pagan aspects to it, you know, eggs and candy.
1: Okay. So let's let's focus on the religious aspect, okay. the Christian aspect of it. What is Easter? Uh, well,
2: Easter is when you, you pay attention to uh, the fact that you have uh, salvation. I mean, I think that's probably the, the reason for Easter is that that's what comes
1: out of it. Yeah. So Christ was crucified on a Friday, and... When he was crucified, Sabbath began Friday night and at sunset, and it lasted throughout Saturday until sunset. That was the Sabbath. I always thought that was Sabbath just in general. Well, Sábado means Sabbath. It, it's Latin for Sabbath. You're right. And uh, so Christ was crucified on Friday, and they, the Jews wanted him taken down from the cross, So he wasn't hanging there, dying on the Sabbath. So they took him down before the sun set. Because you're not allowed to do work. Right. And uh, so they had him taken down off the cross. Now they wanted to hasten his death. And so that's why there was a spear thrust into his side. That's an interesting thing, though, because um, with the typical crucifixion, when individuals are crucified, they die of suffocation.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, it's a form of torture. They would keep you alive. They would they, yeah. would, they would feed them vinegar to keep
1: them, you know, alive. It, they wanted them to live as long as possible. They wanted them to agony. serve, yes, as an example to anybody else that was watching that w- would potentially pose an opposition to Rome. Because this was a Roman form of, of of punishment. This is not a Jewish form of punishment and uh of course, it was prophesied many thousand years beforehand, and Christ suffered it as the ultimate most excruciating death for for us for our sins but um it wasn't the Jews that actually necessarily did it it was It was Pilate, obviously he was a governor for the Romans that uh, sentenced him, but it was the Jews that condemned him they they called for the crucifixion, okay. So that that's all history. Now, what happens in the crucifixion and, and the timeline, I think, is all important. And this is the thing that we ought to remember at Easter. Just as we do during Christmas, we we read Luke 2, the birth of Christ, and how the new star was born, and, and there's a babe in, in a stable, and uh, he's lying in a manger, and there's shepherds that go and visit him, and we celebrate that, we have plays about that, and we we start... Um, stocking the shelves of of grocery stores and and supermarkets two months in advance to make the biggest commercial advantage of the holiday. But it's a huge holiday that the world recognizes and shuts down for. But Easter, it's kind of a side note holiday. It's on Sunday and um, a lot of people don't get time off work for it. Some people still gather together as families and, and remember it. But I want to bring it back to the forefront because Easter, just to point out the obvious, without Easter, without Christ being crucified and resurrecting, and he resurrected on the third day, and the third day was a Sunday, so it was Friday he was crucified, Saturday he was, in, he was entombed, he was entombed on Friday night, and then Sunday morning the tomb was empty. And that's what Easter is. We're celebrating the empty tomb, the victory over death that Christ, the only person, could actually achieve. And so he gave all of us that victory over death. But there's two types of death. Death of the physical body, which none of us can overcome on our own, and spiritual death. And when he was crucified, he gave us the opportunity to receive forgiveness for our sins and he gave us the gift of living again. All of us will live again because of his resurrection. Not all of us will receive forgiveness of our sins. We must accept him and follow in his in his ways. But um, that's what Easter is. And if Easter didn't happen, then Christmas is just a newborn baby of no significant event. And that, I think, is not well understood, or celebrated on Easter. But I think we need to encompass that a little bit more. We need to embrace that, that the real impact of Christ's life occurred on Easter Sunday when he finally accomplished his mission, which was to come to earth, overcome all the temptations and all of the toils that are involved in earth life, and suffer it as a son of God and give us the gift of life mortally again well now we'll have life as immortals and forgiveness so we can return and live with God after th- after this life here on earth
3: I'm I'm and- so glad you brought that up because that was my same sentiment this whole week we as a family has tr- we have tried to rethink the way that we celebrate Easter and I think you put it very very well in the sense that uh, Easter really is the holiday that we should be excited to celebrate. It is what allows us to, you know, like you mentioned, uh, be a free people and be um, able to return to God, hopefully, at the end of our mortal sojourn. And uh, we put so much emphasis on Christmas because of the i imagine the commercialization of it over the the decades that uh, we in my opinion we've kind of overshadowed easter and if you think about the re- reality of the easter celebration that last week of the savior's life and then his his uh, atonement in gethsemane and then his death on the cross leading to the resurrection is what we're celebrating on easter without that we would all be there would be no point to all of this
1: right life would be very bleak if if really you you didn't have that faith that there is a loving God that has a plan for us and that if we can align ourselves with his will, there will be hope and a better life after this. And we can all have justice, but more so mercy for everything that is done in this world than um, I would be scared to step out my front door because whatever happens to us, if if this life is all there is to it and I get hit by a car and I become a paraplegic, that's a very, very depressing thought because my life then is only here and now and not how I react to what occurs to me, but what happens to me. That is what determines my happiness. And when I have a, a bigger eternal perspective that God has placed us here as an opportunity to demonstrate our confidence in him and our obedience to him, that he knows a better way for us and that we can ultimately be happy regardless of what occurs in this test, then I can walk out and if that car hits me, so be it. I need to Persevere and continue forward with a good attitude and continue to contribute to society, whether it's just um, intellectually and positive attitude, or whether it's physically by building great buildings and, and works of architecture, or spreading good news, most importantly, the gospel, or whatever it may be, whatever my talents can contribute to humanity as a whole. That is my objective, and as long as I continue to strive to that objective, then. My mission is accomplished. But if this life is all there is to it, boy, I'm scared to death when I send my kids to school. Because if, if my kid doesn't come home from school or gets harmed at school, gets molested or whatever, those horrible things that could happen to my children and the people that I love, that, that's all there is to it. And, and my life revolves around what occurs in this very fallen and corrupt world.
3: I've often thought of that, you know, because I, I, you have um, different views out there in the world, obviously, and you and I have very similar views, Sean, when it comes to, you know, why we're here during um, this life, what, what uh, comes after it. You and I are on the same page there, but there there are a lot that don't have that same idea or belief or have never thought about it. Really, years ago, I was thinking about this to myself. I was thinking, you know, like, if there isn't something after we die, then what's the what is the point of all this? Is it just you are born, you live, and the goal is to live a good life, you know, whatever that might be to you. But uh, and then if you if you just die, what's the what's the point, you know? Why what what would what would motivate me to be a good person or to yeah. do good things, not to rob,
1: if, to steal, take advantage yeah. of anybody else?
3: Absolutely. If there is nothing after this, then what's the point? And uh, I think I often think, well. We have we have a record of people that have given witness of that there is something after this life, and we call that the Bible. So we have multiple testimonies. You and I, Sean, if we're in a court of law, the more testimony we have to bolster up our evidence or our case— the more solid that case is, and the more overwhelming the evidence becomes that this fact is true. That's how I like to look at the Bible. It's not just one person saying, oh yeah, there is a God, there is this guy named Jesus Christ, um, known as Jehovah in the Old Testament, known as Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It's not just one voice. It's, it's uh, tons of voices over and over and over again manifesting their personal witness of experiences with God and Jesus Christ, such that it's hard to deny that there is something after death and that it's not real, um, unless you just say, uh, you, you, with a, a blank stroke, say, well, the Bible just isn't true. That's just a made-up book, Yeah, you know? But it, it's hard to say that when you've got multiple people over centuries giving witness of their experiences with a God— and this man named Jesus Christ. But you're exactly right, in my, in this, and this is just my opinion, but uh, when it leads up to Easter time, it really becomes relevant. To me, personally, This the Easter season really became more of a— uh, instead of a commercial holiday to me and my family, it's become more of a, um, a reverenced time because I really, for the first time during the COVID years— during 2020, when we weren't going to church physically, we weren't able, we were locked down, and our church was locked down, so we couldn't go physically, and so we were holding our own at what we called at-home church on Sundays, and one of those happened to be Easter Sunday during 2020, during the COVID uh, pandemic, and so I had a lot of time to think about Easter finally, and not going out and buying Easter baskets and and doing the Easter egg thing. It was more like Okay, we're going to be at home. What why are we doing this, you know?
2: I guess you don't need new Easter clothes for at home.
3: That's right. I don't need new ties or suits. It was great. It was the cheapest Easter I've ever had. And uh so at, leading up to that, you know, I I really actually sat down and started to think about why what is this about? And really the thought that came to me was from my own life when I was little, I my my mother passed away when I was 6. So I knew I have images in my mind of her, and I have words of other people and experiences of other people. I have photographs and things like that, but I don't really have a lot other than my memory, which was very little, and and that's it. And so during the COVID Easter, that's when I really appreciated it more, I believe, because I started to think about my own mother and the the hope of seeing her again, and uh, and. Yeah, uh, hearing her laugh and talking with her. And um, that's, to me, Easter, that's the hope, is that we can be together again with our family members, you know? And uh, that's only made possible through the Savior, through Jesus Christ.
1: So let's go back to the timeline of Easter, because a lot of people, I don't know that it, it's as um, well-known in society as the the events of christmas although i think that christmas itself is becoming less and less recognized and the true events of what occurred there and it's more commercialized but we know that christ was born and um, that was a celebration and he wasn't born on december twenty-fifth uh... history tells us that that was not the case but that's okay we can still celebrate his birth sometimes i celebrate my um, son's birth on a friday even though he might have been born on a on a wednesday of a certain week because friday is just an easier time for us to get his friends together and and have the parties and go to the movies and do that type of thing and so we have some people out there that say absolutely not we're not going to celebrate christmas because that's not the day that that's actually coming from a pagan holiday i get that and i and i respect those people that take the stand and say we're not going to allow the pagan um, aspect of it to corrupt the true holiday. And that's okay too, but my sense is I'm celebrating something that I consciously know that occurred, and whether it occurred in December or I believe that it occurred in April, his birth, and and, and history and a, a lot of um, forensic historians have confirmed that that's the time period that he would have been born because of all of the... Weather events that were occurring at that time, and, and the the shepherds um, having their sheep on the on the hill, and so on and so forth. Go ahead. I go thought ahead. like the taxes were due at a certain point. I thought all that was based on on, on records. April. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, regardless, we we recognize we've got the star on our Christmas tree, and that's obviously the symbol of the new star that um, appeared in the heavens when he was born, and we have mangers in our yard, and we have um, nativity sets in our home that show the shepherds and the wise men and and the Christ child in in a manger. So we recognize all those symbols, and, and we embrace those. For Easter, there are very few symbols that are sold commercially, to recognize that holiday and the cross i suppose would be one and people wear that all year round Um, but it's not it's not specifically pegged to that day and i don't want to celebrate necessarily the cross as i do want to celebrate the the victory over the cross or over death in general and that is his resurrection and the emptiness of the tomb that occurred on sunday morning so friday he was he was crucified after he was scourged and he had to carry his cross and uh, was hung. And typically a crucifixion would last anywhere between one to three days. And so he was crucified on on a Friday morning and he hung there um, for three hours until he passed away. Now, he passed away before they went and typically what the process was to hasten... um, somebody's death on the cross was to break their legs. And the reason for that was because on a cross you die of suffocation. You push off of your ankle bones that are nailed to the cross, and it's excruciatingly painful. Of course, you you can easily imagine that. And then you can allow your lungs to expand, gasp for breath, and then you hang back down, and and you're, you're suffocating until you push off again and that's what happens and that's what eventually kills you is suffocation. And so what um, the Roman tradition was to hasten an uh, individual's death that had been condemned to this, this horrible fate was to break their legs. Now it was prophesied that the Lamb of God, and we call him the Lamb because he's the ultimate sacrifice and lambs were sacrificed to to indicate what would happen ultimately um, at this occasion, the Lamb of God would not be have a bone broken. He would be unblemished, and he would have no broken, broken bones. And that was part of the Jewish practice for the priests to sacrifice the lambs without breaking any bones. And so for him, it was prophesied that he would not have his bones broken. Well, when the Jews called for his death to be hastened because they did not want him to die on the Sabbath, and have his body taken down um, on the Sabbath, the Romans went and instead they broke from tradition and they pierced his side with a spear. And what flowed out of the wound was water and then blood. And uh, a, a medical version of this, if you go back and study it, many people will suggest that when your heart is under so much stress then it bursts and a sack of water forms around it and that's the fluid that came out of his side so he literally died of a broken heart by taking upon him all of our sins the sins of the world and um he had died prior to them piercing his side with a spear and then he was taken down and he was entombed for that friday night all day saturday and sunday morning mary was the first to go to the tomb and look for him and uh there was an angel sitting on a rock and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. And uh, she said, just tell me where you've taken him. She doesn't recognize yet. And uh, then Christ appears to her and, and speaks to her, and she doesn't recognize him for who he is. But he says, Mary, and, uh, and then she recognizes him as, as the Lord and uh, so she's the first to witness the resurrected Lord and she goes back and tells the other apostles of his resurrection and then they run and Peter and John go and look in the tomb and they see that it's empty and uh, his, his linens that were used to cover the dead are folded neatly and that's it. That is Easter, the emptiness of the tomb. We have to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations
0: on life, death, and the law right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row.
3: Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. We've been talking a lot about the Easter season because we just got done with Easter this last uh, Sunday, and hopefully it was a great uh, opportunity for you to spend time with your family and loved ones, and hopefully you spent a little bit of time thinking about why we celebrate Easter. Sean and I have been more diligent in our families or tried to be more diligent in our families of recognizing why we celebrate Easter as opposed to just running out to Walmart and buying baskets of goodies, and, and that's all fun. But why? Why do we do that? And we've tried to bring our kids into this and let them know really the reason why we do that. Cody, you took issue last segment I, <laughs> about something that Sean said. And I, think, I agree yeah, with yeah, Sean. Yeah, yeah. And I, you, you were just razzing Sean, but um, you said you got to be careful about saying that Christmas is just another baby being born what do you mean by that
2: <laughs> well I, I, I that's it you know but no I think you're right and we, we talked about it a moment ago like um, and, and when Sean asked when we started the show you know what is, is Easter and ultimately like to boil it down it's one word and that would be salvation like that that's what came out of this process um, but yeah I have to I have to raz on on Sean a little bit because you know he's like yeah Christmas is a baby being born yeah I, I hear you Because, you know, the the prophecy wasn't fulfilled until 33 years later.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And for us, it's easy easy to look back because we can look back and see the whole time frame. We're lucky enough to live in an age where we can look at the scriptural accounts of what happened and say, well, we know he's actually going to fulfill his mission. So that would be blasphemous to say that Christmas is just another baby. But those that lived at the time, I would argue they didn't know. You know, they didn't know yet who or what his mission was, or was it going to be accomplished, you know? He could have very well not accomplished his mission, which was the atonement in Gethsemane, and ultimately death on the cross, followed by resurrection, uh, the breaking the bands of death, right? And I was telling you, Cody, during the break, that uh, I I was in church a few weeks ago, and there was a talk that was being given, and it talked about, um, it was... uh, jesus christ talking to peter and this is pretty close to the end of jesus's ministry and he said something to peter like once thou art converted once you're converted convert thy brethren you know go out and and then spread this news to everybody and i thought to myself well my first thought was peter you don't you're not like you haven't been converted yet? You've been with this guy for quite a while. He's, you've seen him raise people from the dead. You've seen him teach and, and do miracles constantly, you know, and be privileged to be taught by him day in, day out. And you're not converted yet? And then it dawned on me, it's all about timing. The timing, I think, in, in this case, it means that Jesus was not the Christ yet, Yes, he did some neat things where he was able to raise people from the dead and perform miracles, but he hadn't fulfilled his mission, which was ultimately the resurrection, the breaking of those bands of death, and that hadn't been fulfilled yet. So Peter couldn't be converted to anything yet. He had to witness the atonement, death, and resurrection of the Savior to actually then be converted, to be all in with uh, the mission of Jesus Christ. So it's all about timing. And if you take that all away, those three things, the atonement, the uh, uh, death, and the resurrection, then it is just another baby being born. And and you look at the
1: great events in the world, and we celebrate the accomplishment of these events themselves. We uh, We don't celebrate typically the birth of the person that brought to pass the event. We don't, I mean... In certain instances, yes and no, we don't celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday, right? We celebrate Martin King Luther King's life and his accomplishments. We don't celebrate Abraham Lincoln's birthday, we celebrate his life and accomplishments. Same with George Washington and Albert Einstein and all the people that have formed and transformed this world for, for the better. And... I'm not saying in the least bit, so for clarification, and I know you're not calling me out on that, that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. What I'm saying is let's get back to the roots and fundamentals of what Christmas is. It's, it's Christ being born. And uh, it's not just an opportunity to go and splurge and, and spend money and get time off work. It's the celebration of the Savior of the world coming down and condescending from heaven because he's humble enough and loves us enough to live among us, as fallen as we are in this, in this corrupt world, to live among us, to be despised of his fellow men, to be spit upon, to be ridiculed, to ultimately be um, scourged, whipped, imprisoned, and then carry his own cross to the worst type of um, death sentence that was invented by mankind up until the time and, and potentially ultimately ever. And that is what we're celebrating is the person that was willing to do that, the God that was willing to come among us to do that. And, uh, but then ultimately it was accomplished on Easter, and we're like, eh, Easter. And it's like, wow, Easter is like, that's when the Hosanna shouts get the loudest. That's when we should be the happiest. That's when we should really be celebrating and the churches should be humming and packed full because that's the culmination of everything that we've been waiting for from the eternities.
3: I think often there's a disconnect of where we are now in our life and what happened a long long time ago, centuries ago in in the Savior's life, you know. And it's something that we from childhood most of us have been hearing about when we go to church, if you've attended church over the years, and and it's this, it's almost like a separate world. I've got my real-life world where I go to work and I talk with people, and then I have my Sunday world or my church world, and I'll, I'll talk about church things then, but during the week, I'm, I'm all in in my daily life. I don't have time for that church stuff. Or you
1: don't want to look like a zealot and, and talk. You know more spiritual in your everyday speech because then people look at you weird like you're this this individual that uh is not in tune with reality
3: if you think about it, I mean we all go through daily issues i yes these last two days I don't know what it is I've just been in a funk and I've had some really challenging things that I've had to work through um here at work at home and things like that and it's stressful it really becomes stressful but when you uh, Years ago, we talked about um, the value of doing your family history work, looking at your ancestors and looking up stories about them and things like that. And studies have shown that those kids that actually know about their ancestors' stories and things like that of the hard things that they went through, it bolsters them up and allows them to get through hard things through the rest of their life. And their more successful studies have shown um, when they know more about their ancestors as, at a young age and, and apply that in their life. When they get older into adulthood, they become incredibly successful because they have that, that strength to rely on. Oh, well, I've got this ancestor, this great-great-great-grandfather that did this and that and the other, and, and he made mistakes or she made mistakes, but they got through it and they did this, or maybe they didn't get through it and they messed up. All those stories are relevant because you work off of those and you build off of those, and that's part of who you are. Well, we all have somebody to draw off, and that's, that's the Savior. He was the perfect example to all of us. Was he—has he, has he ever been persecuted? Yes. Has he, ever, has he ever been wrongfully accused? Yes. Has he been uh, thrown in jail because of uh, something that wasn't relevant? Wicked
1: men that, you know—
3: Conspired had, against him. Yeah. Did people hate him? Yes. Did people love him? Yes. He's experienced the whole gamut— and he's shown us how to get through that. So as we, as individuals in our daily lives, have an issue where we're frustrated or we've, we're experiencing pain or we're experiencing some sort of um, discomfort of, of outside sources that we really can't control, or maybe they were self-inflicted, we can always rely on that, that strength or that base, that foundation of Jesus Christ and his life. And he's shown us that amidst all of that, even in faced with death— you can still overcome it. And you can still love the other person. You can still um, be kind to other people and be um, loving to your neighbor. And I think that's the ultimate example to us. Even hanging on the cross in his last moments before his death, he was petitioning God to
1: forgive the Romans that were pounding the nails into his hands and
3: feet because they knew not what they did. He understood that they just didn't know what they were doing, that this was all part of a plan, and that that was part of the role that they had to play. But he didn't condemn them. He didn't, uh, you know, um, swear at them or get angry with them. He asked for forgiveness for them. And what an example.
1: Yeah. And Viktor Frankl, who's not Christian but Jewish, and lived through the Holocaust— um, writes a phenomenal book about how we can be happy despite what happens to us. Because happiness isn't an occurrence. Happiness is a state of mind. And when, just like Adam spoke out, that when you understand what this earthly sojourn, what this this uh, probationary state is all about then your perspective changes. And I like to think about it in this context. I I, I talk to, I often teach Sunday school classes and I've taught them in prisons. I I volunteered at the um, Yuma prison or the San Luis prison for 10 years. And I I teach in um, church locally here. And uh, one analogy that I would give when people were having a hard time is to think about the uh, series Survivor. So that's a very popular series. Obviously, a lot of people want to get involved in that show. They volunteer to get put in these situations where it's going to be very difficult for them over the course of the, the, the series to be the one that stands out on top. But they're anxious to be there. And uh, why? Why are they anxious to go through thirst and hunger and fatigue and conflict and all the things that they're going through? And the reason is because they can easily see the light at the end of the tunnel that this is not real life. This is just a test to determine who's got the strongest will and who can persevere to the end, and then there's a million-dollar paycheck at the end of the show. And isn't it the same thing for us? This isn't our real life. Our real life is is waiting for us, and we're just participants in this show, in this reality show, and we are going to face hunger and thirst and anguish and betrayal, and all those things are just to test us to see how well we can react to them, and then ultimately, it's not a million dollar prize that waits for us at the end, but eternal happiness. And so if we can put it in that perspective and our ancestors did have that better perspective and we learn about what they went through and could, could still keep that perspective, then it, it makes it easier for us to, to continue and hold on to that perspective. People often, often ask, um, how do you do a radio show where you're talking about current events and stay up with what's going on in the news and, and not aggravate your ulcer? <laughs> and, and the answer is perspective. I, I learn history I learn what's in the scripture, what life is about, and then I learn what's going on today. And what we like to focus on on, in this show is the 1%, the things that are not being talked about in the mainstream media that we think ought to be talked about to bolster humanity in general and, and specifically Yuma community to say these are issues. We need to have concerns about these issues. We need to participate. We need to be citizens that are active and and having our voice being heard for good because obviously the only thing necessary for righteous or for evil to prevail is for righteous men to do nothing and so we need to do something but at the same time we don't need to be depressed when the battle is lost when wicked people corruptly get voted into office we need to say okay well it's, it's persevere it's just part of the test. It's part of the challenge. It doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. It means we do the best we can, and the results don't dictate whether or not we're happy or sad. They're just another event that we take in stride and continue on with our with our effort to make the world a better place.
3: We've got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. We'll be right back.
0: Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row.
1: Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson, in studio with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. Uh, We're going to change gears for this last segment, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, global warming and climate change. I know that this is... a a, a bit of a different stretch from talking about Easter and Christmas and and those things. But I think that it all goes together because my belief is that this earth was created to allow human beings that are the um, offspring of God to come down and to experience life. And animals are here for our use and enjoyment and to allow us to practice responsible stewardship. It's not just for us to use up and and throw in the garbage. It's for us to demonstrate that we can be responsible with what we have. For example, if my kids want a dog, I'm first going to give them a fish and see if they can keep that fish alive by feeding it and cleaning the tank, and it's much easier than maintaining a dog. And uh, if that fish dies after a week, then, you know, they get it that, listen, you can't take care of a fish. Why would I entrust you with a dog? A dog's a lot more responsibility and it's impacting the entire family, whereas a fish is confined to your room. So I feel like that is what God is doing with us on this earth. He's giving us an opportunity to participate and He's giving us um, dominion over this great wealth that we have of seas and birds and animals and fertile fields, and we get to exercise our creativity and our intelligence to make it more beautiful, productive, and also to maintain the harmony of it. And there is, now that's my religion, for sure, but is that any different than the religion of the environmental movement that's going on today? What is going on with the environmental movement is described when you look at it in its individual components as nothing more than a religious movement. It's individuals that have adopted this concept that carbon dioxide is a cancer in the atmosphere and humans in general are a cancer on the planet and we need to minimize that cancer and reduce it to the extent possible. And sometimes it's going to take drastic measures like a theoretical chemotherapy treatment to do it. And what is this chemo? It is stopping all the burning of fossil fuels that creates 80 to 90% of the energy that uh, we have. And, and, and not only the energy that we use to create all the prosperity that we have, but also the materials. I mean, the iPhones the clothes, the medical equipment, all of those are petroleum byproducts. And without petroleum, we wouldn't have that. Without using fossil fuels in the first place for fuel and for energy, we wouldn't have the, the additional time and to innovate, to create these additional materials. And human life would be pretty dismal and has been dismal for a Thousands of years where we were faced with a lot of war and starvation and poverty in general, and either we were killing each other off with war or we were being killed off by extreme climate, cold primarily. More people die from cold, a 100 times more people die from cold than heat, and also pestilence and uh, infection. Smallpox was ravaging the world for hundreds of years. Millions of people died from smallpox. The plague ravaged the world, killed off a third of the European population in a small period of time because of innovation that was allowed because we were able to harness the energy that is found in fossil fuels we were able to find solutions to these problems and make human life so much more enjoyable now we've explained that what happens to us does not create happiness but I do believe that God wants us to be um, creative he wants us to use our talents and in fact he says so Christ himself gives the parable of the talents, that he gives one five talents and another two talents and another one talent. And the, the those with five and two talents, they went out and they multiplied their talents and came back. And Christ said, Thou good and faithful servant, you've done well with a little, I'm going to give you much more. And so they were given dominion over many more things and there was the one that had the single talent given to him and he was fearful he didn't want to lose his talent and so he went and he buried it in the earth and then he brought it back just one talent he hadn't produced anything with it and he responds to him he's a wicked and slothful servant and that he did nothing with his talent and because he did nothing with his talent he's going to take away that that he has and give it to the person that has five talents which he had multiplied to ten talents and given him even greater dominion that is us God gave us the earth, and the paintings and the frescoes weren't completed. He gave us the the spirit of creativity to create these great works of architecture. He gave us the opportunity to divert from the raging rivers that go into the ocean, canals, to make the desert bloom. And he gave us the opportunity to, to create buildings and to live in hostile environments by using air conditioning in the summertime and heat in the wintertime and we can do this and we can also be environmentally friendly a uh, very few scientists although it's it's alleged that the majority of the scientists believe that uh, this climate change is going to ultimately be a spiral down into ultimate destruction and and human extinction they also believe that we are better off as far as the environment today than we were in the 80s because we have used innovation to make water cleaner. And we've used innovation to help out impoverished nations that were war-torn nations to help come out of poverty, to supply them water, supply them with food, with the invention of fertilizer. We can feed the world, whereas we were faced with famine in the 1800s and early 1900s where the, the there was vast starvation and and we were literally going to run out of food because there wasn't the, fer, the the soil wasn't fertile enough to grow enough food for the growing population but with the invention of fertilizer we were able to solve that problem now we need to continue to innovate and i think we need to come and apply permaculture ideas with the concept of being good stewards and innovation and put together the whole picture, but that brings in climate change. What should we do with fossil fuels? Should we continue burning them or not? There are several renowned scientists that have been blacklisted or otherwise canceled that have shown um, very clearly that the carbon in the atmosphere is actually greening the earth. Over the past 35 years, the earth from satellite images have shown that the earth is 15 to 20 percent greener. There is more vegetation that, as opposed to desertification, which is where lush farm fields turn into deserts, what's happening is the opposite. What was desert is turning into grasslands and trees and farm fields, and that is because of the increased level of carbon dioxide plants thrive with carbon dioxide. We've commonly said this over the show that um, greenhouses buy canisters of carbon dioxide and the optimal level of carbon dioxide in their greenhouse um, situation is 1200 parts per million. Well before in about the nineteen sixties there was only about 150 parts per million of carbon dioxide and, and the earth was going through this phase of desertification that that the um, vegetation was dying off and with the infusion of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere we've brought it up to 400 parts per million and now the coral reefs are rebounding the the forests are are growing greener the grass fields are coming back and the farmlands are, are producing more than they ever have and we can actually capitalize on this more that doesn't mean to terrorize the environment But that means to implement what we can through innovation, look at the true science, and then be good stewards over what we've been entrusted with. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more
0: about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.